0: hello listeners welcome welcome to this episode of the aimp nashville podcast we are chatting with my friend randall foster the chief creative officer at symphonic distribution my friends he's going to give us his cheat codes on how to hack digital distribution
1: congrats on the new wings buddy thank you thank you it's uh it's the culmination of of 3 years worth of blood, sweat and tears since leaving the uh, the music publishing space but it, it sure has been a lot of fun and it's it's a lot of fun to be a part of building something. We're going to talk about distribution. Long gone are the days of the
0: physical distributor these days. I mean, they're technically still around. We still fill up Walmarts and Targets and such, but the world has moved to digital quite swiftly and let's just Start off on a basic we're going to pretend this is like I say uh, this is really easy for me I'm gonna play dumb artist and you're going to play smart distribution guy and kind of tell me kind of some basic steps I think a lot of my listeners may know this but I never want to over assume stuff so I've recorded a project I'm super super excited about it I'm ready to take the world on and I need to get it to the people. So there are obviously these days a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, There's a number of companies, a lot of really great companies, but why don't you break it down and just give to me the different versions of distribution you're looking at? Because I think each each company has a little bit different model, but I'm sure there's some basic models. Can you just touch on those for us first, Randall?
1: Absolutely. And you're right. Um, There's a lot of noise in the space and there's a lot of companies to choose from. Um, You know, you'd mentioned physical distribution, which I just have to touch on is not completely dead. So don't give up on that. You know, I think there is a space for that for certain artists, for certain projects. We offer that ourselves. Um, But for our purposes right now, we'll talk about digital distribution, which is very similar to physical distribution. It's supply chain management is what it is supply chain you have a good your music we've got to get that out to our friends who would listen to it uh via spotify or apple or title how do we go about that is the question there are basically two kinds of digital distribution companies out there i'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this statement there is the so-called flat fee distribution model which is kind of a newer take on on the old act of getting music out. Um, Whereas certain entities will charge a flat fee per release, um, or a flat fee yearly for you to distribute your music. Um, The sales point there being that your distribution is quote unquote, free, and that all you're doing is paying a nominal fee every year. Um, The other side of the coin is the more traditional distribution model, there's a distribution fee that's that's agreed upon ahead of time um, for the project or for for subsequent projects for the catalog, etc. For us, the retail distribution fee tends to be about 15%. Um, for that 15%, what do you get? Well, you get all of the mechanisms in distribution, including things like split royalties, um, things like marketing services to wrap around the distribution. In the case of Symphonic, you get pitch to playlists, which I think is uh, kind of the the big target for a lot of people.
0: As you said, there's kind of two models. There's a flat fee or a subscription basis. I've kind of like done a little research on, which is you pay a certain fee, uh, either monthly or per year, and you get basically distributed, which sounds like from my understanding as well, and what you were kind of stating that. Basically what you get in that is straight out to uh, you get in the stores, period. Like that's basically what that fee gets you. Now there are varying different ones. There's multiple companies. So yes, we might get some, some people saying, well, that's not right. But uh, because when I was doing my research, I found at least 15 different companies and each one has little variables. So I just want to point that out. But as a whole, there's the flat fee, like you said. Uh, What typically, other than just distribution, you're saying mostly in that particular model, that's all you're getting. But they do some obviously advertise opportunities in there, but uh, those are going to generally cost a little more or add on costs from your knowledge, correct?
1: It's my understanding that that you basically... Uh, get a bare bones distribution offering. And by bare bones, I don't mean that like Spotify is an add-on. I mean, I mean you get, you know, 75 or 100 DSPs covered. Digital service providers. Sorry. I promise no acronyms and I'm already I'm already down <laughs> the acronym, uh, uh the acronym. I think we all
0: get to DSP though, man. I think we're on board. I think okay. you know, I think okay. we all kind of understand that. So you're good.
1: So, so typically, it's you know it's maybe it's less DSPs that are that are covered, um, you know some some distributors have have weird rules about release timelines and how long how long your music has to sit there before they distribute. I've recently heard of a free quote unquote distribution service that just launched where you don't get to pick your release date. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, if you want to pick your release date, you got to pay a little fee, and then you get to pick your release date. Um, which to me is, you know, I mean, if if you want to if you want to operate like that, that's fine. I'm a, I'm a control freak. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but I really do. I really do think you know there is a there's a place for 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 these companies. And I think and I think they do a good service and they do a, a good job. The problem is in a lot of cases when you look at that flat fee, you know, whatever seventy five dollars a year or whatever you've gotta be doing 100,000 streams per track to offset it or more. And so there there becomes an offset differential for artists that maybe are under indexing where they're actually gonna be paying more for that than if they were in a percentage deal. Now the flip side of this is percentage-based distribution tends to be harder to get into as a single artist. And so, um, you know, there, are, there are some, I think that, that, that welcome one and all. I know for the fact, for a fact Symphonic is very picky about who we allow in for distribution. We, we heavily vet the, the clients that we take on because we realize we have only so many resources and to scale those resources and to be able to help our clients effectively, we need to make sure that we're working with the right clients. And so, um, I think that's a really interesting offset there, um, but yeah, the, the the long and short of it is there's no shortage of options, and the question is, you know, do you want to have free distribution where the service may be a little lacking, maybe the law the queue for customer service takes a week or more to get a response, things like that, or do you want to give a percentage up in an eat what you kill situation to a company? where you'll have a client manager and you'll have direct contacts and and boots on the ground and people who know your name kind of a situation. And it's, I mean, I, I imagine the same decisions are very difficult when choosing a publisher, you know? I mean, you know, there's so many publishers available and the reality is, and I tell people this all the time, the reality is distribution's really easy. Like the act of packaging digital files and delivering them is cake. It's what you do around them that brings value. And it's the people you have around them that brings value.
0: Well, that absolutely makes sense. So I'm gonna back up a little bit now and, and come at this uh, with a different question. So I'm the artist. I've got. I've done my research. I kind of know what I want to do. Um, I'm coming to you, Randall, with my project. You mentioned some some keywords, lead time, market drivers. What do I, as an artist uh, or the publisher, because I'm sure you work with companies as well, what do I need to bring to you other than just finished product? Because obviously you're looking for a little more than that. What do I need to bring to you? What kind of timeframes are we looking at if I want to get distributed? Like, What's a good lead time? Um, can you give us a little bit on that? That's a fantastic
1: question. And I, I can't tell you how many times I talk to an artist who spends months and months working on a project only to get it done and be in a hurry to get it out all of a sudden. Um, more lead time is always better. That's the, the general rule across the board is take your time getting this done and doing it right because you can only do it once. So I would say if you were looking for an ideal time frame and an ideal plan around an artist's release, um, first of all, as an artist or publisher, I, I would hope that you would come in the door with a plan in place, good, bad or ugly, a plan you know, we've got we have a 10 song record, we would we think that we want to do four singles, and then we want to release the record or we want to do two EPs and put those together and put the record out. There's a million ways to skin the cat. But the reality is with the DSPs, you get one chance to market a track at a time. And so um, per UPC, you get one focus track. So if you think of it in terms of, of, of that, every single, obviously it's a single, you get one track, you can market that. You can market that in Spotify for artists, Apple artists. We submit those things to about 18 other DSPs through what we call the backend grids, um, as well as pitching them vocally. Um, but you only get one chance to market that. If it gets out, if, it, if you accidentally release it and pull it back, it cannot be pitched. And that and that means the algorithm doesn't pay as much attention to it. And so thinking about things in terms of that when you're making your plan, I think are really important, because there's things that come into play with digital, um, more so than traditional record releases, um, that really will affect the outcome and affect your success rate, one of which is release cadence. Release cadence is the timing in between your singles. So it used to be when I started here, actually, it's changed because of COVID. But when I started, eight weeks between a single was great. That was, that was typically pretty acceptable. And what I've seen in the time since is that release cadence has tightened up a great deal to, to where we are now seeing kind of a decay in monthly listenership at about five weeks. Man, Eight
0: weeks is what I knew as a, as the time to, you know, kind of schedule out your re- releases, but that's almost cut in half now. That's, that's stunning. Like I don't even know how you really do much in a full week to maybe even if you push it six week time frame to really get ready for another release, that's just such a short lead time to, to get anything But you mentioned releasing and you talked about pitching to DSPs. If you had focus tracks, um, what are, what what does that exactly mean when you're pitching to them on focus track? And maybe even, if we'll dumb it down anymore, focus track, what do you mean? If you can give me a quick definition of those. So the
1: focus track would, would define out as the one track per UPC, which I mentioned earlier, that you can pitch. So, so the focus track, if you have a, a five-song EP, the focus track is the one you're pitching. It's the one you're asking them to focus in on. It's the one that you believe is strongest of the collection. Um, but but that's the focus track is is the item per UPC you're asking on people asking people to focus on. So, like with a single, obviously it's a single, so (laughs) there's one focus track. With a record, you gotta pick the focus track.
0: Gotcha. So going back now, you've obviously seen a lot of releases. Is there uh is there a particular system that seems to be ideal? Like, but let's just stay focused on, you know, I'm a newer artist, don't really have a name. I'm building that. Have you seen certain release schedules or, or release plans that seem to be more ideal over others? Is it like one one single, two single EP? Is it EP, EP, more content, more content, then put package them together? Like, is there a particular magic wand for that? Or is it just? different every time
1: if i had a magic wand man i wouldn't be on this podcast right now (laughs) i'd be sitting on a desert island somewhere the um no it depends greatly i think you know there's you know i know a songwriter slash artist in this town who sits in his bedroom and releases a single every two weeks and has done so for seven or eight years and makes about four hundred thousand dollars a year I, it does great. Doesn't tour? Doesn't co-write hardly at all. Most of the things he releases are covers. Um, you know that works for him. Um, he happens to be his own producer and really, really good at what he does. Um, you know, I know other folks that are in the more traditional lane that are really trying to harness and be that artist and and trying to, have, you know, not to just release music to release music, but to have really focused, smart projects. That makes sense. That are maybe rolling out an EP, maybe two EPs, putting those together, adding a few tracks, calling it a record, um, but really employing great PR behind it, and you know, putting that together with great performances and 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 awesome content to to, to pursue it in a more traditional way. Um, you know, I think that. You can you can kind of hack success with the DSPs if if you've got the time and energy to release things in an incredible fashion. Um, you know the editorial staff at the DSPs are great and and they're some of my favorite people. Um, but at the same time, as we've seen here locally in Nashville um, with the departure of John Marks, and and I've seen globally at other DSPs. Um, editorial isn't finite and it's not there forever. So I, I tend to try to want to focus on how do we make the algorithm like us? And, um, the reality is that gentleman I mentioned earlier that is doing so well, you know, releasing a ton of stuff, found a pace that the algorithm smiled kindly upon and continues to smile kindly upon, and it worked out great for him. Um, that's not for everybody. I think everybody's kind of, you got to kind of find your stride. I think a metered approach that's somewhere maybe between the two is smart. Um, I will say this, it's really hard if you're releasing single after single, after single, it's really hard to go back every five weeks and explain why the next single is a hundred times more important than the last. <laughs> it's like, how do you explain this is the greatest song ever when you've got another greatest song ever coming in five weeks? Um, well, it sounds difficult. like
0: it's a little bit of pacing. This is what I'm hearing: is that for every artist, you got to find your own pace in your race. So there's not really a, a a particular pattern that works for everybody.
1: I agree completely with regards to artist pacing, and it's important here. Importance here. I think the the only thing that's really bad to do. Is stop releasing music for any extended period of time. I wouldn't take big breaks, but but finding a pace that works for you creatively, I think is important. It, you know, there I know bands that took COVID off, and are having a hard time recovering because that fan base has moved on. And so, I my only suggestion with regards to artist pacing was keep make sure there is a pace.
0: Wanna jump off to a a little bit of a tangential uh, side here. And YouTube monetization's mentioned a lot if you're researching this, and it seems to be a separate thing. Can you explain, I mean, I know what YouTube is, I know there's money there, but what does that mean coming from you, the distributor to me, the artist?
1: So we we happen to offer YouTube monetization to our clientele. Other competitors do, some do, some don't, um, to varying degrees of success. It's not something that is like, unilateral across all distribution platforms, I don't believe. In our case, well, in every case, YouTube monetization happens in three lanes. And it's important It's important to understand these lanes, one of which you all should be intrinsically plugged into already, which is the publishing lane. YouTube has its own dashboard and, and own monetization set up for the underlying content. So if your music is on YouTube, it's thumbprinted monetized as a publishing asset and payable via that lane. The other lane, which is the one people talk about most with regards to uh, to YouTube would be would be content ID, uh, or master monetization. Um, in that case, same process happens the content ID actually, I think technically that that phrase covers both publishing and master, but the portal for that is is a bit different. It's monitoring for any iteration of your music utilized on YouTube. And then a really nice piece of the monetization side is is that of conflicts and clearance. So if someone uses your recording, Tim, and you didn't authorize them prior to that by whitelisting their channel, then it's gonna throw up a red flag and it's gonna notify the owner of that channel. And it's also gonna notify whoever is monitoring your, your content ID, in this case, us. And so what we would do at that point is, is go into conflict clearance mode because when the red flag is up, no one's getting paid at all. And so, um, you know, basically there's, uh, typically we claim it as ours, then there's some back and forth with regards to ownership. Um, the great thing is it doesn't have to come down, it doesn't have to leave YouTube, Proper, But if it's to remain on that other channel, we'll slap an ad on it and monetize it on your behalf. Um, This is really a cool space because the conflicts are plentiful. And believe it or not, there are tons and tons of, of pirates out there who are just taking content and sticking it on their channels. And so to be able to run those down, head them off at the pass, and clear the conflict in our favor is essentially pulling a lever, putting money in the artist's pocket, which is great and is really, you know, a fun part of what we do. and and it's one of the actuary parts of what we do where more effort equals more money, which is really a hard concept. I mean, Through through music generally, you know, there's there's a lot of people I know who put a lot of effort in a lot of lanes and, and haven't had the success or the money they'd like. This is one where if we are more attentive, if we hit the conflict queue and destroy it, more money flows through us to our artists. Everybody's happier in the end. So those are the two main lanes. The third lane for monetization at YouTube is channel monetization. So, if you have a channel, whether it's for the publishing company or an artist-specific channel, that has enough watch hours and enough subscribers, YouTube will allow you to actually monetize the channel and control the channel. So you can do that on your own, or we can actually do that on your behalf. And, and in that case, we would pull your channel into what's called a multi-channel network, which is a, which is exactly what it sounds like. It, a network of channels um, where we would help maintain and kind of kind of stoke the fires there on the channel to make sure that you're monetizing it as well as you possibly can. Um, this includes all sorts of things, uh, optimization items like keywords, and in some cases, we've had channels we've taken over for monetization, and we've actually gone in and we've put um, translations of of the music. It was a multicultural musician um and so we actually went out and added translations of the music and the keywords um in native tongue to the channel to make it more searchable to make it more findable um youtube is one is a crazy crazy thing and i think that we all take it for granted to be quite honest youtube is the number one music discovery platform in the world and it is the number two search engine in the world and so i think that because it's so old, I feel like a lot old as a technology, I feel like a lot of us take it for granted, but it's, it should be an intrinsic part of the marketing mix always.
0: Yeah. Every time I look it up, it's the number one streaming platform of all the other platforms. People kind of forget that for sure. Um, I have one other question, cause you've mentioned it a couple of times in our conversation, when you talk about hacking the system. Can you clarify? Because I'm kind of curious what you mean, because you know, if I if there's a hack, I want to know it. So if you could succinctly tell us what what do you what do you mean by
1: that? So so I don't mean it technically as in hacking, but what I mean by hacking and using it as a wide colloquialism for for best practices, um, is making sure that that you're doing things like releasing on a cadence that that is attractive to the DSPs for pickup. Um, you know, algorithms tend to look for patterns and, and, and they tend to look for activity. And so, you know, if you think about, you know, best, best practices in the space, you know, one of the best practices is that, is that for every release, you'll do a pre-save campaign and you'll have a pre-save link that allows fans and friends to go in and pre-save it so that at midnight on release night, on, on, on the morning of your release, all those pre saves hit the system, and it looks like there's a ton of activity there. Um, these are little items that you can do that don't guarantee success or ensure success but they certainly are moving in the right direction. Um, and so, you know, we try to follow a series of best practices around release strategy um, that the, you know, have everything to do with cadence and making sure that your marketing is, is tight making sure your message is right and making sure that little, little ideas, little details aren't left undone. Things like th- things that are really simple, like changing out your skins on your social media like, like, like it's it really silly to 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 say this but you know if if someone is considering featuring this whether it be a press outlet or whether it be somebody in an editorial stance at a dsp and they go and they check a few of your social media platforms and they and they realize that you know whoa look at that on a, on facebook the the record that's mentioned in the skin up top is is three records ago they're not paying attention. They don't have a team, they don't have their stuff together. These are the kind of things that, you know, that you've got to appear as though you have a team. I mean, even, even if you are the most independent independent, you've got to look professional and you have to be a good steward of your business. And so all of these items, you know, I, I equate to hacking. It's not technically hacking, I know, but um, but really, really making sure that you're applying the best practices so that you're presenting your content in the best way possible for the DSPs to consider you.
0: The AIMP National Pubcast is hosted by yours truly, Tim Hunzey, Executive Producer, Travis Myatt, Producer, Brandon Harrington, Mixing and Editing by Casey Porter, and this has been a Dime Collective Production.